Hey everybody, you're listening to Top Quartile, where we bring you stories from the front lines of growth in community-focused financial services. Hello and welcome. My name is Dan Marks. I'm a partner and the president here, and I've got Nick Holland as our guest on the show today. Nick, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Yeah. Tell us more about what you're up to and what led you to where you are today. Sure. So I am with a company called HubSpot. I am a VP in the product org, and I'm specifically tasked with our marketing portfolio. So I'm the GM of both Marketing Hub and CMS Hub. Um, I've been there about six years. Before there, I had a venture-backed startup that built pages for salespeople to build single pricing pages, pitch pages, proposal pages, and that publishing platform was acquired. Before that, I was basically an agency owner, had about a 40-person digital agency, that did digital transformation, digital marketing, et cetera. Obviously, a lot to talk about on the show. What is one fascinating fact that most people don't know about you? I think that uh, a lot of people chuckle because I really love mixed martial arts and I used to compete. I was a wrestler in high school and I competed in college judo. I did MMA afterwards. The last time I competed, I was... 34 and I broke my teeth and my elbow and wrist in the competition and I kind of hung up my boots. And the reason why people think that's interesting is because I'm also pretty nerdy. So I really like Japanese anime. I play card games like Magic the Gathering, stuff like that. And so people just found it to be quite interesting that I do a lot of the MMA stuff as well as a lot of the kind of nerdy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And you're in Nashville, Tennessee, right? Yeah, I'm in Nashville, uh, been here for all six years with HubSpot. So I was their first remote executive and I continue to be remote. Yeah, we love Nashville. So what's what's growth been like at HubSpot? It's been good. You know, HubSpot, for those who don't know it, it originally started off as a marketing platform focused really on the concept of inbound, which was how do you give value to get value. It was a way of really capturing content marketing before it was really big. It was the combination of tactics like content marketing, but also that ethos of, you know, what would it look like if marketers weren't annoying? (laughs) You know, we joke that marketers can't have anything nice because they break everything. You know, they're always trying to email too much or too many pop-ups or too aggressive. And so really uh, HubSpot was built on that. And then over the years, what we found is to help marketers was something that really grew into then how do you also help sales teams, which then really grew into how do you help service teams And what we found is the combination of marketing, sales, and service really represents this like front office platform. But more importantly, where we started to identify as a company is that there's really this customer journey that happens, whether you're aware of it or not, people start from an anonymous part of their journey all the way to the point where they are a customer. And then you're really trying to get them to deepen their relationship, whether it's to advocate for your brand or to cross-sell, upsell. And so really, we started to believe that, like, how do you build this front office platform that, that helps architect this wonderful customer journey? And me in particular, I believe that the people that are typically most suited to architect that customer journey are marketers. So, so you kind of gave the very high level summary on how HubSpot's grown. And you talked about how it was based on customer feedback. Unpack that a little more. Like, What, what were you looking at or here listening to that led to that evolution? Yeah, so there are a couple of things. So the first was throughout technology, we've all lived it over the past few decades. There are these big changes that come about. So when HubSpot first started, one of the big changes was the internet slash search engines made it easy for smaller companies to compete with larger companies. 
wow, what a fascinating moment for the first time. It's not about the size of your ads budget or how big your staffing team is. It's that if you helped people, you could outperform the largest companies that were out there. So this was really the birth of like where SEO, content marketing and all that, that stuff was there. Then you rock along and what started to change was as more and more people adopted technology, having a single view of the customer started to become a big part of people's strategies. And for many, many years, you would talk to a company and you'd say, do you have a CRM? And there might be like a micro CRM and just the sales department, but very few companies had a single source of truth for the customer. They had a data silo over here, a data silo over there, a data silo over there. And what you found were practitioners either had to work on a very limited view of the data or they had to go invest a lot in consultants, middleware, all sorts of things like that to stitch it together. So what we found was that customers who started to put everything into a CRM and then they were powering these front offices experiences. So we personally break out a CRM from the sales department. If you go look on Wikipedia, the actual definition of a CRM covers that whole front office journey. It's just a, basically this system of record. And so if you look at a marketer, if they just had a system that just had like, let's say a contacts manager. So there's a lot of marketing systems that are out there and they have a robust kind of contact manager. What that was missing was the sales data. If you just had a sales team working off a, a CRM, what it was missing was all the marketing data. And then over time, after you basically got customers and you were trying to fulfill that promise, you know, deliver on a day in and day out, a lot of times people were missing the service stuff. The jokes that we used to talk about would be you would get an email from marketing offering you a product that you just bought from sales or reverse, you will get an email from marketing right after you just had a customer complaint. And those are very tone deaf. And what that represents is that, of course, Everybody was working off a different siloed set of data. So that was the next thing where customers said, man, we're just really, really struggling with having everything siloed. How do we bring it all together? Where we're at now in the journey is that marketers are no longer, how do I do marketing? There's no more of that. Everybody knows how to do marketing now. They're no longer even really questioning the fact that they need more data. What they're now saying to us is like, oh, man. Everything has gotten more complex. Everything has gotten harder. I know what I need to do, but the systems are working against me. The data is working against me. Time is working against me. You know, everything has gotten more complex, but I didn't get more resources to work on it. And so there's this real need now for how do these systems orchestrate is what we call it. How do they orchestrate better for you? How do they help the marketer not just send out a message to one list, but they have hundreds of lists and not just send out one message, but they have tens or twenties or thirties of messages that go out in a month at different times? How do they effectively work with not just a sales team, but they have multiple sales teams in different places who are at different points along the journey? And then more importantly, how do they basically take all of those signals in the system and they want to drive personalization? It's hard. It's hard. And what's fascinating about today is that there are people now who are getting it. And so I think the next thing that's going to happen, the pain that you're talking about, is that there is starting to be a big chasm between those who get it and have operationalized it and those who haven't. And right now, what's fascinating to me is that it, it has never been easier to start a business. Never. There are so many resources. There's so much money. There are so many tools. You know, the stuff that HubSpot pulls off for you, I would have loved to have had when I had my agency. I mean, I was... It'd make you mind blow if I told you all the software I was trying to use to pull this off. But it has never been harder to be successful as a business because the competition is everywhere. You know, the way I look at it, I told somebody this the other day, think about the stock market. It's called an efficient market. 
Because basically, you might have some additional information that no one else has. But the moment that basically gets known, the market bakes it in and there's no more advantages once again. So it's very difficult to actually beat the market because it's very efficient. It absorbs the information. Well, that's what's happening in the world of marketing in particular. Every time there's a new thing like inbound came out, it was within five years everybody was doing inbound. The same thing happens right now. CRM was a big thing. At this point, the majority of people have a CRM. And what I think is going to be the next thing is that how you basically weave and stitch all this together, that's going to be this next run because ultimately, if people didn't pick the right platform to get it done, it is hard. It's like the organization that is depending completely on Zapier, completely on spreadsheets, completely on human people to tie that together. They are going to run slower than the people who are on unified seamless platforms. Yeah. And so when you think about orchestrating all those different touch points, how is that maybe easier with HubSpot compared to stitching it together manually? We talk about crafted, not cobbled. It's how we talk about it internally and sometimes to customers. I'll give you a couple examples that I think are interesting. These are very, very like basic, but very specific things. So I've owned my own company before, so I'll go through a few things. Well, the first is a new employee starts. You want to talk about the difference? The difference is day one, you say, you need to go shadow Dan. Dan, can you pull out your file on all the different systems that we use? Can you go add them to those systems? So now Dan or whoever has to go into five, six, seven different systems and add the user. Dan, can you show them how to use each of those? So you've got like a standing operating command or you even worse, a lot of times it says, Nicholas, can you go figure it out? And then you basically say, make sure you don't touch this button or follow this. Don't do this wrong. You have a lot of guardrails saying, don't screw it up. And then at the end of all of that, if Nicholas doesn't work out and you have to let them go, think about having to go take them out of all those systems. You literally have to go cancel their accounts. You have to basically go unwind a lot of that stuff. So just user management, just training is worlds easier with HubSpot. We watch it all the time. You get someone to join HubSpot and guess what? Now they join, you basically add them to HubSpot. Or if you have your own SSO system, which is really nice, your own SAML system, like you add them to that and they get automatically added to HubSpot. That's nice. Number two, when you tell them to onboard, HubSpot has all sorts of training and certifications, all that stuff ready out of the box. You didn't have to go make all that. Third, you get to set up their permissions and all that stuff. And so what's really nice, you have one system to control the way that they're doing those things. And then, of course, if they don't work out, you have one place to go remove them, which is nice. So just that alone, it's faster time to ramp, faster training. It's basically another thing that's cool is like we've told people in HubSpot, like if you learn how to edit, let's say, a blog post, you also know how to edit a landing page and you also know how to edit the email. You know, the other part I think is interesting is like file management. I talk to this uh, about this a lot right now. I say, Hey, we got a new logo. Where do you go put it? Well, you go upload it into HubSpot, but then you go upload it into your CMS and then you go upload it into your landing page manager and you, they have to go keep their marketing assets even if they're in a Dropbox or a box or some sort of digital asset, they still have to go put their assets in all these other systems versus in HubSpot. If this is where you run your marketing, you have one single place to manage all your digital assets. So those are like two little things that just happen day in and day out. The learnability, the discoverability is there. But the other reasons why it's really good is that it's just very difficult to have all the data in one place. So the more places that you have data siloed, the harder it is to actually run really efficient marketing campaigns. So that's another place where HubSpot really helps you out. And then the last part is just very unique to HubSpot. Let's say if you were to go with another very powerful platform is that we have a freemium model. And the reason why that's important for us, at least as a product development team, is that what our free product runs on is the same thing that our enterprise product runs on, just with more features. But freemium is awesome because we are, 
I think the only platform that provides freemium software. What we learned by doing this is free users expect everything and pay you nothing. But the gift that they give you is that if they stick around and they like your software and they use it, you know you have very usable, good, learnable software. And so we use our freemium tools to drive the ease of use of our system. And that's what makes our pro and our enterprise tools just night and day difference than if you were to go buy some big platform off the shelf. So Yeah, well, to your point about ease of use, I have seen that over and over in a change management. Just telling somebody as an executive, telling somebody, hey, I want you to go take that hill is not enough. Leadership is showing the way and leadership's a lot easier if the tools are intuitive and it doesn't feel like you're dragging somebody along. You're equipping them as opposed to mandating something. Absolutely. And in 2022, the majority of us are very, very clear on the difference between a good experience and a bad experience. You know, we all know what that feels like. And so for us, we want to make it so that the frontline worker in the system every day, HubSpot is very rarely a top-down decision. It's one where maybe leadership signs off on it, but most of our customers have an internal champion or an agency partner who says like, look, this is where I think you're going to be the best suited to do this. It is somebody who is thinking deeply about adoption versus top down. We bought this, you know, the whole joke, like no one ever got fired for hiring IBM. Like that is not why you buy HubSpot. (laughs) That's funny. So take that out to the customer for a minute. A huge bud word is omni-channel. How does kind of providing a seamless experience to the end customer, the end user fit into what you're seeing from best practices? Yeah. So that customer journey, when you're building it, what we think about as omni-channel is it's just all the myriad of touch points that a customer may come into contact with. So for us, the channels that we think about are website pages, our channels, and of course, landing pages, blog pages are part of that. Live chat, that's another channel, even though it sits on a web page, that's another channel customers may interact with you. And it's a different interaction for what it's worth than if they're on the web page. Social media, and then there are flavors, of course, under there. How you act on Instagram is different than how you act on, say, Facebook or LinkedIn. And then we think about ads. Ironically, ads is a channel that a lot of people don't think about, but it is an absolute channel and it has its own styles. I mean, how your pay-per-click looks versus how you're running ads on the social networks, those are wildly different. And then, of course, you move into traditional communication channels like email. Um, Some of our customers are very much into SMS or WhatsApp. Some are even going deeper into they're doing things like Facebook Messenger. It all depends on the audience that you're dealing with. Also, another one that's big uh, that we've been talking about recently is calling. You know, it's funny is calling is having a really fascinating resurgence. Even from a marketing standpoint, sales is calling to your point. But what we have inside of HubSpot right now is conversational intelligence, where effectively we record those conversations with the customer's permission, but we record those. And then we use, of course, ML or AI to transcribe all of those, pull out the sentiment, get all the keywords. And then as a marketer, you're able to go into that tool and you can say, let me see everybody who's mentioned X. And so what we have is a really cool way that let's say that you are wanting to go do a campaign towards someone who's mentioned a competitor. You could do that. You want to go do a campaign to someone who's expressed this particular sentiment or pain. So we see calling as another channel as well. The point being, the channels continue to proliferate and HubSpot handles many channels natively, but we didn't even talk about all the channels that we integrate with. So if you have a mobile app, we have push notification channels that people are integrating with. We have people who are doing events. They'll do a lot of either virtual events or they're doing real world events. So 
all of that effectively means is that the journey from anonymous to customer to repeat buyer is not a straight line. It is very, very wavy, you know, circles and backflips and all that stuff. We, we joke about how complex can we drive a customer journey, how draw it. But what that means is that the marketer now has to be aware of all of that. And so you're either not in that place that the customer wants you to be in. So you decide, uh, I'm just not going to do, let's say, SMS or I'm not going to be on ads. Or if you are there, then the deal is now you have a degree of quality and how well do you execute on that? If you want to be where your customers are, then all of that complexity has to be managed. And that's where HubSpot, once again, puts its energy, which is how do you give a frontline, normal day-to-day marketer a fighting chance to be able to go do quality work in all of these channels and then to orchestrate all of that so that it's basically working in harmony on behalf of the customer, but then they can go back and report on it and let people know what's working, what's driving revenue, et cetera. That used to be only something large companies can do, and we're making it so that you know anyone can do it. In terms of ease of use, the landscape certainly seems to be changing. So ease of use is really important. You talked about integrations. It seems like ecosystem and integrations are an important role. You might have a foundational core system, but you know, it seems like a HubSpot or others might recognize, okay, I can't do it all myself. Correct. Yeah. We talked about that because when you talk about crafted and cobbled, it doesn't mean that it has to be all HubSpot. It doesn't mean it has to be all in one, a single tool to rule them all. What it does mean, though, is that all of the systems that connect to HubSpot do have to be brought into harmony. They do have to be brought into something that still adheres to our first principles of clean data, crafted experience, that kind of system of record. So the way we've handled that is, again, with our platform, this gets a little kind of nerdy, going back to what I like, this gets a little nerdy, but like, we think there are five primary colors and it's content, it is messaging, it's automation, reporting, and data. So notice these are very generic terms, right? So we invest in these at the platform level. We call them primary colors and we continually put our development efforts into that so that whenever you buy any of HubSpot's products, so whether that's our CMS platform, our marketing platform, our sales service, that you are going to get those primary colors that are brought to bear in there. But each of those primary colors also is on this one kind of seamless unified code base without getting too technical. And the way we've built it is that that code base and those primary colors can accept things from integration. So we have over a thousand plus integrations that effectively provide data syncs to our system. So these aren't just kind of like a Zapier, this system does this and this system does that. This is more like you have an integration, let's say QuickBooks, and the invoice data itself goes into HubSpot and the data that you have in HubSpot goes back into QuickBooks. And so what that does is now HubSpot is the quarterback of making sure that both of these systems stay in sync. And that gives you a lot of peace of mind because as you integrate with other systems and it, HubSpot brings order to all of that, that then allows you to run your marketing efforts in a way that, you know, you have every, you can stay in HubSpot, but you know that even when you and I were talking before this podcast, we talked a bit about like what a lot of customers do, even if they have external databases, is that they will find ways over time through either API integrations with developers or if there's a off the shelf integration to have that data within reason, you know, obviously you may not want to do private data or whatever, but they'll have as much data sinking into HubSpot so that then HubSpot marketers can go run and do the things that they need to versus at the end of the day, if they weren't able to, they'd have to go over to another system. They'd have to always do something else. And that kind of breaks that crafted solution that we're looking for. So the integrations now basically break down, I'd say for everybody here is we're trying to provide core 
functionality inside of HubSpot, a very easy to use framework to get the data synced with other systems. And then there are other ones where you do still have to go do something bespoke outside the system to which we still want when you work over into that system to be reflected in HubSpot, but we're doing that as well. So an example is there some ABM tools that people use where they go deep into the ABM space, account-based marketing. We see some people with some very high level BI type tools where they'll basically take HubSpot data into their BI tools, business intelligence and do stuff like that. But that's it. We effectively kind of want to make sure that wherever you are, we get that crafted solution going. And that's our philosophy. Another practical example might be, you mentioned events earlier. Banks do a lot of events. And so if you had a specialty software to help manage event RSVPs or whatever, that doesn't have to reinvent the contact record rule. It shows up almost like another channel to your point. And then also reports back, you know, if somebody RSVP to an event, it shows up in the timeline and HubSpot for your sales team to see that intelligence and your marketing team to be able to use that on triggering a reminder or something like that. You got it. And events are actually even more unique, again, in that we have special objects. They're called objects in HubSpot. But we have special objects that when you have those events, either a developer or an integration can do that. But even inside of HubSpot, you're able to go now pull the events in HubSpot. Let me pull the events. And I want to go see all the people that went to that event, which is really nice. So you can start to see you know, who signed up, who actually attended, who paid, you know, things like that. So it's pretty cool that we actually represent that data natively in HubSpot as well. We talked about a lot of trends and from your your unique vantage point, you see what's happening. What are the top maybe three trends you're seeing that are best practices for particular banks and credit unions? I think that they're dealing with the same customer base expectations that we all are, which is people know good when they see it. I think banks and credit unions are dealing with competition like we all are. And so I think the things that we're finding is ultimately, if you can deliver a great customer experience, that's going to give you an advantage. And the way that breaks down to it is, are you able to map out the customer journey? Believe it or not, that's not a software thing. A lot of times you can literally do that on a whiteboard, paper, and it just really builds a lot of empathy with that. And so we ask a lot of customers before we even get into talking about software is like, do you know the customer journey? And so for all the listeners on here, I would challenge them, like, spend some time working on that. It's not a technical issue. It's more about starting to dive in and having that empathy. The next thing goes down to is like, what are the areas where you can improve that customer journey? And so an easy one to look at is like personalization. Talked about even this before the podcast, we talked about there is a single vanilla experience that everybody goes through. Or you can start to see that people are different and people are interested in different aspects of your business, your product offerings. People are at different points of the buyer's journey. And so how do you start to cater them? And it could be as simple as you actually just have different sections of content at parts of the journey, or it could be you're actually using technology to personalize. An example would be in HubSpot, pretty straightforward, is like on a web property, if someone is revisiting, let's say they're on their third time back to the site, you could actually show them a specific offer. Something like want to talk to a person who wants to like dive into your needs, especially if they're on like a loan page, eventually. like would you like to talk to a loan officer? Do you want a free credit check or something like that? And so doing those little things, they may sound simple, but a lot of companies don't do that. Like how do you effectively think about where they are and show them the right thing at the right time? And then I think the other part that is kind of an interesting trend, I spent a lot of time asking customers about this, is that do you know what's working? It seems like such a simple question, but do you know what's working? And you start to ask them, like, what are the questions that you still have? And a lot of times, whenever they still have questions, it's because they're missing data or data is siloed out somewhere else. 
we ask them, what of your tactics are working? A lot of times they don't know that because they haven't tied it back to any sort of real KPI. You know, you and I were talking before about this, like ultimately the goal, in my opinion, for marketers is to know how much revenue you drove. And revenue could be shown in the point of account holders. You know, you guys were talking about, you guys do this. Like it could be done in a bunch of different ways. But if I work with a marketer and they cannot tell me how they impacted the business, then they got work to do. And that's okay. That's what we're here to do. We're all here to do work together. But that shows where you are in the journey that if you absolutely cannot talk to your sales leader, your CEO, the bank president, and you can't talk about how the work your team specifically did led to business improvement, then you've got work to do. And it could be in a bunch of places. It could be the journey's not good, be in your data gap, could be in your reporting. But that's exciting to me. We all know we add a lot of value. In fact, I think marketers are going to become more and more important as they go forward. Because especially with the way some of the purchasing behaviors and all that stuff have changed, marketers are worth their weight in gold. But the marketers also have to learn how to speak the language that everybody else has used. And, and salespeople know how to say it. Uh, this month I closed X, you know, but the marketers need to start getting towards that. And I think that when they get towards that, again, I think their value is only going to continue to rise. Well said. And I, I think that that's one of the things that we love helping clients is they make different points of their, their strategic journey. But we can come in very quickly, leveraging best of breed tools and quickly get to the point where they have a dashboard. And they can say, OK, here's the accounts and balances that this multi-channel campaign drove this quarter. And then how does that trend over time? And, and that is very powerful. But it just it just accelerates and shows the value of the creativity and the empathy and everything else. And it's super exciting to hear this conversation around you know, the interplay of how did the marketing and sales activities together drive some of that? Because we know that there's an orchestration. And so how do those touches work across channels and you know, in that wavy line we talked about? Nick, uh, it's hard to believe that our time is, is wrapping up here. Great stuff, great perspective. I can tell you, you might be a little passionate about your day job. <laughs> um, if you could go back and sit down with yourself, you know, just finishing college perhaps, based on what you know now, what advice would you give to your younger self? Does, does buy Tesla count? <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Probably not, huh? Probably not. I have to be honest with you. I, I've been pretty happy with my journey. I think uh, part of my life philosophy is growth mindset. So I'd probably go back to my younger self and just say, make sure you have a growth mindset. Pretty easy, especially as I've moved into my 40s. A lot of people get caught in their ways. I'm seeing it more and more now. So I think that I would tell myself to kind of nourish that growth mindset and keep it I think the other thing that, didn't, you know, outside of the jokes of like where you would invest and what technologies are out there, I think ultimately I was, frankly, pretty down on big companies. I know that sounds weird. It's probably not where you expected this to go, but I was down on big companies. I thought I was like a unique snowflake <laughs> that I was, you know, I couldn't, couldn't be managed by people. And what I realized, I think now I'd go back and tell myself is that I think what I had a problem with was not large companies because- the size of a company isn't a reflection of its culture. What I had a problem with was just the perceived kind of coldness, top-down approach of kind of like that 80s style business. You know, I was born like 1979, so I kind of grew up thinking like that, that that was like the way it was. And what I have found is cultures often reflect the people who are at the top and you can have awesome cultures at any size company. And I didn't really understand that when I was young. And so I think that for two reasons, I'd probably go back and tell myself that one, 
it's okay. There are a lot of awesome companies that you can go work for and make a big impact. I didn't think that at the time. But then two, I've had a couple of my own companies and I didn't tend to my own culture the way I should have. A lot of times culture at smaller companies is a reflection of the leader. So it was like a cult of personality. My companies reflected my personality. And that feels good as a leader, but it's not intentional. It doesn't even mean it's healthy. And I think that that's one of the areas that I would really look at. So, you know, I guess the takeaway for the listeners is that if you run a department right now, you set the culture for your team and you don't want to make it suck. You know, you don't want to be the reason that people don't want to go to work. And if you've never thought about it, you know, it's an interesting challenge I give to everybody like I'd give to my younger self, which is like, is it possible to get good work done and still love coming to work every day? Some people see those as diametrically opposed. You know, I got a friend of mine who jokes all the time. He goes, you don't go to fun every day. You go to work every day. But the point is, you can basically make it more enjoyable for your team, for yourself and all this stuff. And so I've just seen that happen at HubSpot, just to go back and brag on them, especially the founders, Brian and Darmesh. I was a little skeptical, to be honest, whenever I joined. But uh, the culture is awesome. And they've made it really enjoyable to go to work. So anyways, long answer, but that's what I would say. Well, I tell young people that, which is kind of funny for me to be say, I can tell young people because I still think I'm young, but you know, everybody's got different gifts and interests. And to the extent that you can match up doing something that the company needs with the way that you're wired and what you're interested in, that's where you can really have an impact. And sometimes you may have a, just a different interest set than what the company needs in that particular slot at a particular time. There's obviously limits to that, right? I used to say there's people don't get paid for playing video games and then YouTube made me a liar on that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, that's what you're talking about, right? It's, it's uh, what does the company need is what I'm passionate about and good at lined up with that. And that's where you can have a lot of fun, even when it's in a slog or working on something. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Awesome. Hard to believe our time is over and um, maybe sometime we'll catch up again and trade notes about uh, Jumpstart Foundry there in Nashville. So yeah, well, maybe on podcast round number two. There you go. All right. So yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. That's it for today on Top Quartile. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Top Quartile wherever you find podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating. And if you're interested in getting an opportunity assessment, head over to infusionmarketinggroup.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.